guest here in the studio for the news briefing is Son j i u n Good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. Well, as I just mentioned in the opening, uh, although uh, right now the focus for uh, many of the uh, emergency officials has been on the uh, search and rescue operations as well as uh, the damage control uh, with these uh, recent torrential downpours, especially in the uh, Seoul metropolitan area, uh, there is still certainly a focus on the coronavirus Mm. pandemic as well. So uh, we have reached some milestones here over the weekend at Chiyun. It's been around now seven months since the outbreak of Uh, COVID-19 here in Korea and really the rest of the world. Uh, Still a bit of a struggle to contain the virus, but uh, we do have some good news to note, and let's uh, start off with that. Uh, According to health authorities, uh, especially if you paid attention to the weekend briefings, it does look like as of now, once again, we do have the local Mm. infections under control, uh, especially, I I guess, dealing with the long aftermath of the uh, May golden holiday period and the uh, outbreak that emanated from Itaewon and then we had the ripple effects of all of that. Mm -hmm. So currently how are things looking? Right. So Korea reported 30 Uh, cases yesterday and only eight of them were local transmissions and the rest 22 were imported cases. Now it's a similar figure from a day earlier when the country reported 31 cases with eight of them being local transmissions. The total infection here in Korea now stands at 14,366 and we haven't added a death and thus the death toll now stands at 301. Now ever since the government introduced the whole new three-stage social distancing system, we've been following the trend in two weeks period. So in the past two weeks, Korea reported 16.9 local transmissions, which is 4.5 less than the two weeks prior to that. So we see an improvement here. Now, though things are slightly worse off in metropolitan areas, it seems like the virus is weakening in general in this country. Sporadic cluster infections continue here and there in metropolitan areas, For example, a new cluster infection at a cafe in Gangnam area has been reported. Mm. But things look certainly better in non-metropolitan areas such as Daejeon, South Chungcheong Province, Gwangju, and South Cheolla. Now, there are some more good news. For example, the ratio of silent transmissions also fell from 7.5% to 6.6%. And most new infections, in fact, more than 80% of new infections uh, seem to come from those who are already being monitored by our our health authorities, which means that our health authorities are doing a good job in containing the virus. In fact, the KCDC stressed that COVID-19 is under stable control, and we have a short clip from the health minister Park Nung-ho, so let's hear that first. Mm. 7월 19일부터 8월 1일까지 지난 2주간 국내에서 발생한 일일 평균 환자는 16.9명으로 그 직전 2주간의 21.4명에 비해 4.5명이 줄어들었습니다. Right, so that was the health minister, and he was basically saying that the virus is being controlled in a stable manner. 
both in terms of new infections and treatment. He also cited numbers to describe how daily new infections decreased in the past two weeks compared to the two weeks before that, the numbers that I've cited earlier. Mm -hmm. Now, on top of this remark, he also added that although we are doing a fairly good job in containing the second wave of the virus, the risk posed by the virus will will still persist and we would have to live with it. He also added that we should take this time to recuperate and strengthen our readiness posture to combat the virus in the future. Right. So uh, as you say, uh, we have some positive trends here, uh, especially when we're looking at the statistics over the past uh, few weeks with local transmissions. Mm -hmm. And for the large part, uh, when we're talking about that, and as we say, with the aftermath of the uh, golden period and the the big scare that emerged uh, uh, through a lot of the revelers during that time and maybe some of the clubs and then uh, the uh, subsequent Mm -hmm. sporadic uh, infections that we saw break out in PC bangs, the the distribution centers for these uh, mass logistics companies and all these other places like churches and what have you. Uh, Much of that now has been put under control, although some worrisome signs in the metropolitan area. Uh, These are factors in terms of local transmission that the health authorities uh, want to do as good a job as they can, but it also is incumbent on us as citizens or residents here in Korea to also adhere to uh, a lot of the guidelines to help minimize the effect of the spread. And so uh, with that cooperation uh, taken into account, it does look like the country is doing a pretty good job. One aspect that the country, at least uh, people like you and I, residents or citizens Mm -hmm. of Korea that don't really have a big sort of amount of control over is preventing the spread of the foreign arrival uh, transmissions. And that is still a uh, big Concern, And uh, we do see that uh, outside of Korea, uh, things have taken a little bit of a a disturbing trend. How are things going on uh, in the rest of the world? Right. So I mentioned that things look quite better in terms of local transmissions here in Korea because only 8 out of 30 were local transmissions. But as I've said, 22 were imported cases and the number seems to be uh, in a rising trend for imported cases. Now... As I said, this number, imported cases, kind of speaks for the trend outside Korea in general. And in the seven full months since the first outbreak on December 31st, the accumulated total number of global infections now have surpassed the 18 million mark, Mm. which is quite significant. Now, worldwide, more than 691,000 people have died. And the U.S. continues to top the list with more than 4.8 million infections and 158,000 deaths, followed by Brazil with more than 2.7 million infections and 94,000. 4,000 deaths. The numbers continue to rise in other parts of the world, so it's quite concerning. And as you see uh, the the numbers uh, and the daily counts, uh, there's an acceleration in terms Mm. of the total number of global infections. It was maybe at the 16 million mark uh, when we last spoke earlier last week. Uh, It does look like uh, that's going to go past um, significantly, maybe into 20 million uh, by the end of This week, uh, we will uh, certainly see, quite tragically, more than 700,000 people uh, dead overall. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., probably we're looking towards um, getting to 5 million total infections and uh, uh, certainly maybe creeping close to um, 170,000 deaths by the end of the week when it's all said and done, which then again highlights, uh, going back to Korea, the concerns as the foreign arrivals come here, not just from foreigners, but also for uh, Koreans who are uh, living abroad, who for Mm -hmm. some reason or another are coming back into the country. 
for example, if you're coming from the United States, you got to have a pretty so- strong suspicion that you might right. be uh, infected with COVID-19 just looking at their numbers right now. And so uh, Park n u n g w o in that same briefing did mention that there's been a lot of concerns as there had been in the initial airlifting of Korean nationals mm-hmm. from Wuhan, China. Remember during the first Uh, initial wave of the pandemic and people concerned about placing them in these temporary shelters. He did make the point that uh, we as Koreans need to understand that there is a Mm -hmm. sense of uh, safety protocols to keep them isolated there, but as of yet, there has never been an outbreak attributed to those temporary shelters Mm -hmm. that have been uh, put in place. And so uh, certainly we do have to stay vigilant. And as we say, uh, compounding all of that is uh, the uh, disaster response right now we're getting with these uh, record torrential downpours. We're going to turn to politics now, Tiyun. And uh, we've been talking about the ruling party. They have won a lot of seats. Uh, They have uh, close to a supermajority. And uh, they are wielding that power, certainly now, uh, trying to prove that this uh, so-called working assembly for the 21st National Assembly is something that they will try to keep their promise on. Now, um, the uh, legislation that has been passed is quite significant. So let's talk about what this ruling party has done so far. Uh, A bunch of bills which they say aim to improve the livelihoods of people here uh, had been pending for quite some time. It does look like the party is pretty close to passing these bills. Right, because there's nothing, it seems like there's nothing that's getting in the way of the ruling DP at the moment. Last week, the party submitted 11 bills related to real estate regulations to the Parliamentary Strategy and Finance Standing Committee, the Public Administration and Security Committee, and the Land Infrastructure and Transport Committee. Now, these bills are set to be laid at the Legislation and Judiciary Committee today, and the party now plans to put these bills up to a vote at the plenary session tomorrow, which is the last day of the July provisional session. Now, the bills include increasing the maximum comprehensive real estate tax rate to 6% from 3.2% for multiple property owners, as well as levying as much as 72% of transfer tax and as much as 12% of acquisition tax to multiple property owners. The last bit of the three tenant protection acts, which is about introducing a transaction reporting system for home leases, both for chonsae, the lump sum deposit, and for wolsae, which is uh, monthly rent, will be discussed at the plenary session tomorrow. Now, in addition to real estate related laws, the ruling DP also hopes to put three laws on the independent investigative unit that oversees corruption cases involving high-ranking government officials on the table at the plenary session tomorrow. So it looks like uh, they are going to uh, pass these bills. Now, if you live in a democracy... Uh, we will have dissenting voices and certainly Mm -hmm. some of our listeners uh, may not be happy with anything the ruling party does or proposes. So they are disappointed or or outraged by it uh, for whatever reasons that they might have. But also there are politicians that don't necessarily agree with what the ruling party is doing. And uh, namely, we can point to one, uh, I guess, (laughs) group that is uh, quite upset, right? Right. So I can imagine that you are referring to the main opposition, the United Future Party. And the main opposition is vehemently against passing the real estate-related laws as well as launching the independent investigative unit. 
The two main rival parties have been clashing over the formation of a subcommittee to evaluate the legislations. The ruling party says that as the bills have to be passed as soon as possible, there is no need to form subcommittees while the main opposition s insisting otherwise. But the rulebook says the ruling DP can technically pass all laws just with its 176 seats without the help of any other people and in case the main opposition decides to go on a filibuster to stop the whole process it, the ruling DP can simply uh, it has to simply secure four more seats or four more votes to nullify the filibuster so it has nothing in its way essentially so because you think 176 but uh, you have three affiliated with the uh, right. Uri mm-hmm. Minju party which uh, would uh, tend to Democrats. vote with them and you just have to uh, pick off one or more of the uh, independents that are uh, nest, um, uh, likely aligned with the ruling group and maybe even uh, a couple of the uh, justice party people so uh, 180 is not a difficult threshold to come over and again highlights that uh, the uh, main opposition is in a bit of a dilemma and I've seen that there, there's an internal debate of how to Uh, best approach the situation. Some saying we got to take back out to the streets again, but they knew mm-hmm. that there was a backlash uh, to doing that during the uh, Hwang Kyo-wan era. But inside, maybe they can just go into a filibuster, at least try it, propose their own policies right. and maybe show that they're also working to try to come up with some <laughs> solutions for the people, which uh, we have not seen as of yet. Although we'll talk about one particular uh, lawmaker later, later right. on who's been uh, giving some policy recommendations, but mostly criticisms. But It is to the issue at hand right now, which is real estate. And one of the tools to try to alleviate the real estate problem, uh, at least from the ruling party's point of view, is with capital relocation. So the ruling party has made a suggestion, including Mm -hmm. uh, starting off with the floor leader, Kim Tae-yeon, who gave the speech that uh, really outlined this, is having Cheongwadae and the National Assembly both move from Seoul to Sejong City. Uh, in the beginning, maybe people thought, ah, it was just something he was tossing right. out there. They're not really going to seriously pursue it. But wow, it does look like they are seriously going to uh, pursue this. What steps have been taken so far? Right, so the ruling DP reportedly ordered its design vendor for the city development to include both the Blue House and the National Assembly in its new blueprint for Sejong City. So it seems like things are actually taking off. The ruling DP plans to visit the city later today and hold a conference at the City Hall of Sejong with the mayor of the city. Now, a DP committee on the relocation of the administrative capital to Sejong has already secured 2 billion won for the construction of a National Assembly building in Sejong. The committee hopes to clarify some of the specifics on the design during its visit to the city later today. today. Yeah, the uh, $2 billion is a lot. I mean, it's, mm. it's a lot for you and I. but uh, <laughs> A lot. It, yeah, but it, it's, it's more of a symbolic amount. It's obviously going to cost way, way, way more right. than uh, $2 billion won to actually get a, a new building uh, up in place in Sejong. So that's one part of the logistics uh, piece of the puzzle. The other wider question is the legality of this uh, candy, because the critics are saying that uh, this is actually not legally mm-hmm. allowed. Uh, the previous No Muhyan administration did attempt to move the capital to Sejong, and it was, as we famously record in history, uh, 
the constitutional court saying that it's a no-go, right? Right. So in order to move ahead with the plan, the National Assembly Act must be revised. In fact, Lee Hye-chan, the ruling DP chief, said at a recent talk concert that what's simply needed is to add a phrase in the constitution that says the country's administrative capital shall be Sejong. Now, Lee added that although the previous ruling by the constitutional court is still in effect, the constitutional court now comprised of a whole new member uh, can always rule the other way. Yeah, and there's a chance this can be done. Uh, some of the opposition lawmakers who are actually in the Chungcheong region mm-hmm. are in a little bit of a dilemma because right. they do support this. Uh, Lee Hye-chan, who is the outgoing chairman of the party, he, he also represents the uh, Sejong mm-hmm. constituency. And so uh, there is certainly a lot of uh, momentum here. Uh, whether When it's all said and done and with all the other legislative priorities, uh, uh, we will see a pretty interesting uh, debate going forward with moving to Sejong. And again, this ties back to the, right. the major policy issue that the government and the ruling party are trying to tackle, which is real estate prices, how best to approach it. Uh, increased and more stringent regulations now. Um, two of the three new real estate laws that you alluded to earlier that are uh, being passed by the ruling party um, uh, really kind of went through and they are now basically um, effective immediately in terms mm-hmm. of implementation. It's these new um, uh, leaseholder or tenant uh, protection laws, the chunse laws, so-called, so to speak. And this is aimed to improve the lives of people who are uh, renting places here in Seoul, particularly. Again, uh, there are some policy disputes over this. Some are happy and some are not, right? Of course. Well, to briefly recap the policies, uh, the two main pillars of the new laws are preventing landlords from evicting tenants after two years by granting tenants the rights to stay for another two years and keeping chonze increases to below 5% from the original contracted amount. Now, with the introduction of the new laws, tenants who have recently renewed their lease contracts are demanding that they draft up their contracts again based on the new Tenant Friendly Act, Uh, meaning they want the laws to be retrospectively effective. Mm. Now, some who had already agreed to leave the property are avoiding calls from their landlords, saying that they can stay another two years according to the new law. Now, this is giving some headaches to the landlords. And with the new law, landlords could ask their tenants for higher chance when renewing their contract, uh, which gave them a large sum of extra money they can make use of. But... uh, Under the new law, the maximum amount of the increase is now kept to 5%, which obviously uh, many landlords uh, find unfair and are unhappy with because it doesn't reflect the market trend of increasing real estate price. Now that less tenants are likely to leave their chonse properties for the time being, and now that landlords are less likely to benefit from chonse, price for chonse is expected to skyrocket. And as a result, newlyweds or people who are seeking for chonse properties are expected to have a hard time finding chonse-based leases and would rather have to leave on monthly rent-based leases. Right. And something tells me that uh, you're going to have to be looking into this uh, in much more detail and, and research this yes. uh, much more. more thoroughly uh, in the near future. My pleasure. That's a a strange prediction I have here. (laughs) But uh, let's talk about the opposition to this. We mentioned uh, that uh, the UFP is not on board. One of the lawmakers in particular, an interesting individual, Yoon Hee-suk, who's a a former scholar from KDI, right? Korea Development Institute Mm -hmm. think tank. Uh, She had a speech that went somewhat viral talking about this and how uh, these uh, Chunse regulations now will effectively render Chunse to be basically an impossibility. Uh, Mm -hmm. Talk about this. 
speech. Right. So on top of the on top of that remark, she also added that while many prefer the Chunse system, the ruling party failed to take into consideration how these new laws will impact the lives of 10 million people. Now, to her speech, the Democratic Party's Yoon Junbyung rebutted that there is nothing wrong with Chunse being replaced with Walse, which is monthly rent, and added that Walse system is a much easier and convenient way for average citizens who don't have a large sum of money at hand. He also added that Chunse's system was on its way to disappearing anyways, regardless of the new laws. Yeah, and so it's one thing to say that uh, you, you can't have this uh, protection in place for leaseholders because uh, you are going to make sure that owners don't ever be incentivized to offer uh, mm. chance anymore, and that's what the leaseholders uh, are wanting and want to be protected from. But uh, the dilemma here is uh, if things move to uh, walse or this rental uh, thing, this is not what most uh, people want. Uh, right. It's a burden every month to be able to pay off mm. uh, that uh, rental fee every uh, end of the month. And so it's one of those things where you have to kind of kind of take the fire with the unpopularity mm. of it because what they're saying is the reality is Chunse is a system that unfortunately is on its way out so this mm-hmm. is a better way to uh, protect leaseholders going forward uh, again uh, this is an interesting debate to have and we certainly will have it and you're going to discuss it much more <laughs> in further detail we got time for one more story though uh, this is uh, dating back to 2018 the Korean Supreme Court ruling that Japanese firms including Nippon Steel should compensate Korean wartime forced laborers. The court notified the firms that they're going to seize their assets after they had failed to adhere to the ruling and the uh, liquidation process is set to go into effect tomorrow. Yes. So in 2018, the South Korean Supreme Court ordered Nippon Steel to pay 400 million won to four plaintiffs in Korea in compensation for the forced labor they performed during the Japanese colonization. Now, Nippon Steel refused to pay, prompting the plaintiffs to go after the company's assets. Now, in June, the Daegu District Court began the legal process of serving Nippon Steel with documents related to the sale of its assets. And tomorrow, the court will rule on the sales of the assets, which include roughly 81,000 shares of Nippon Steel's, which were seized by the court last year. Now, the actual sales and liquidation of the company's assets will take some time, even up to years. But Japan made it clear that it won't stay, it won't stay still, and um, it will take retaliatory actions once the liquidation happens, which uh, it's reviewing increasing tariffs, holding off remittance, putting a break on visa issuance to Koreans, seizing Korean assets in Japan, calling in the Japanese ambassador to Korea, and etc. Hope this case doesn't become a slippery slope for the already tense relationship yeah. between the two countries. Indeed. All right, Jin, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you.